Listener discretion is advised. What makes women kill? Women, like men, can kill for a variety of reasons. It can be in self-defense, mental illness, revenge, jealousy, influenced by others, but one factor that may contribute to women's involvement in murder is a history of domestic violence or abuse. Women who kill their partners or other family members may have been victims of abuse themselves and may have felt that they had no other option but to use lethal force in order to protect themselves or their children. Grab your dinner napkins for this one, cabin crew. I'm about to serve up the gruesome tale of Catherine Knight. This is Farah, and you're listening to The Conversation Cabin. Born on October 24, 1955, in Tenterfield, New South Wales, Australia, Catherine was the youngest of four children and had a very difficult childhood. As a child, Knight was known for her violent and aggressive behavior. She was often bullied at school and had a reputation of being a bully herself. What people didn't know about her was that her father, Ken, was an abusive alcoholic who frequently beat her mother and siblings and often sexually abused Catherine and her twin sister. He would rape Barbara, the children's mother, up to ten times a day. It was known that Barbara would express her despise of sex and men to her children, but when Catherine would complain about a partner wanting sex, her mother would just say, quote, just put up with it and stop complaining, end quote. All through Catherine's childhood, she was sexually abused by other family members as well. When Catherine was 14 years young, her favorite uncle, Uncle Oscar, tragically committed suicide in 1969. Although she was an exemplary student, the death of her uncle set her into a tailspin of rages and outburst, assaulting fellow students and teachers. But at just 15, she left school, unable to read or write. Going out into the world, this is where Catherine would find her, quote, calling her dream job at her local slaughterhouse. At first, she was entry-level, cleaning up blood and bits from the floors. She quickly gained a reputation for being a skilled worker and was eventually promoted to the position of boning room supervisor, a role which involved cutting and preparing meat for sale. The slaughterhouse is where she would meet her first husband, a heavy drinker, David Collette. She was just 17 at this time, and her union with David was low-key, 
just having the ceremony at the register's office and celebrating later at a local pub with friends. Their marriage was marked by violence and abuse early, as on their wedding night, Catherine attempted to strangle David as he slept. It was known that David was quoted about the warning that Catherine's mother had given him. Quote, The old girl said to me to watch out. You better watch this one or she'll fucking kill you. Stir her up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you're fucked up. Don't ever think of playing up on her. She'll fucking kill you. And that was her mother talking. She told me she's got something loose. She's got a screw loose somewhere. End quote. Unfortunately, this marriage full of violence and threats spawned children. But even a pregnant Catherine wouldn't back down on the turbulence. She burned all of David's clothes and didn't stop there, hitting him over the head with a frying pan just because he came home later than expected from a dart tournament because he had made the finals. Not even children could save this marriage, and David left after becoming involved with another woman. This made Catherine into a frenzy. One day in Aberdeen, Catherine was seen walking her baby carriage with her little baby daughter, Melissa Ann, and she was violently swinging it from left to right, right to left. This got her committed to St. Elmo's Hospital and diagnosed with postnatal depression. Even the hospital stay didn't help because after her release from the hospital, she took her two-month-old baby down to the railroad tracks and placed her on the tracks. A man that went by the name of, quote, Old Ted, end quote, rescued her before the train came. As her baby was on the train tracks, she, Catherine, had stolen an axe and walked back into town, threatening to kill people. So she was again arrested and taken back to the hospital, but signed out against medical advice the very next day. Just a little side note about one of Catherine's crazy antics. Also in 1976, she slashed the cheek of a neighbor and told her to drive her to where David and his mother lived so she could kill them. Shortly after this, David moved back in with Catherine and four years later had another child named Natasha Marie. Four years later in 1980, their marriage finally ended. Catherine's second marriage was to David Saunders, whom also worked at the slaughterhouse. And let me tell you, what I'm about to tell you is just off the wall. So as a warning to David to never ever cheat, she slit the throat of his two-month-old dingo puppy. 
Can you believe that? This is how crazy she was. In June of 1988, Catherine's third daughter arrives, Sarah. But of course, as we know with Catherine, children do not stop her being violent. About a year later, she branded David's face with a hot iron and stabbed him with scissors during an argument and this sent him packing and going into seclusion from her. Two years later, she meets 43-year-old John Chillingsworth and again, he's a co-worker from the slaughterhouse. Her and John have a child together as well, a boy named Eric, but within three years, Catherine actually leaves John for someone that she had been already involved with, an old friend, quote, John Price, end quote, also known as Pricey. See, I was just serving you some appetizers. Now we get to the main course. Catherine's final and most significant relationship with John Price. He was a father of three, worked as a minor, making very good money when Catherine began seeing him. John was liked by everyone he crossed paths with. Out of his three children, the two older kids lived with him at the time that Catherine moved in with him in 1995, and they actually seemed to get along with her. Three years later, though, an argument ensued when Price declined to marry Catherine. As spiteful as she was, she videotaped items that John apparently had stolen from his work and forwarded the tape to Price's boss. And after 17 years of dedication, he was fired. In turn, John was furious and booted Catherine out of his home. But a few months later, he caved in and they got back together, picking up where they left off, although he did not let Catherine move back in. Because of the violence and intense arguments, John's friends outcasted him. They couldn't stand by as they watched him get belittled by Catherine. On February 29th, 2000, Price filed a restraining order at the magistrate's court after she had stabbed him in the chest. John wanted to ensure that she couldn't contact him or his children. He actually had told his co-workers that if he didn't come to work the next day, it's because Catherine had got to him and killed him. So of course, they pleaded for him not to go home, but John ignored their pleas. While this was going on, Catherine was videotaping herself in brand new black lingerie and her children as well. And it has since been said that it was more or less 
a videotape of a heartless will. John came home, but it was silent. No sign of Catherine, nor his children, as he found out that she had sent them to their friend's house for a sleepover. So John visited his neighbors until about 11 p.m., and then returned home and went to bed. And then Catherine came to the house, watched a little TV, showered, and then went into John's bedroom, waking him up to have sex. According to court documents, John's neighbor noticed that John's car was still in the driveway the next morning, that he didn't head out for work. When his employer noticed this, they sent a co-worker to investigate. The neighbor and the worker had tried knocking on John's bedroom door, but between him not answering and them noticing blood on the front door, they phoned the police. Once the police arrived, they busted down the back door, finding Catherine unconscious in John's body. Catherine attacked John with a butcher knife as he slept. She then proceeded to stab him 37 times in the chest and back, and many of the wounds injured his vital organs. After killing John, Catherine skinned him, hung the skin from a meat hook, decapitated him, and cooked pieces of his body. But the most disgusting part of this story, she made two plates for his children, serving up the meat and then sides of baked potato, pumpkin, zucchini, cabbage, and a few other vegetables drizzled in gravy. She accompanied the plates with each one having a note of the child's name sitting beside it. The children weren't there to eat it, but supposedly Catherine tried to eat some from her own plate, but couldn't, as there was food thrown in the backyard found later. John's head was found in a pot that was still warm when the police got there. Knight had written a note for John as well. The note was placed on top of a photo of John, covered in blood with pieces of flesh sticking to the photo, and it read, quote, Time got you back, Jonathan, for rapping, meaning raping. She spelled it with two P's. My doubter, daughter, but she spelled it D-O-U-T-E-R. My doubter, you to Beck, who was Price's daughter, for Ross, hyphen, for little John, his son. Now play with little John's dick. John Price. End quote. This note was later determined to be a fabrication as there was no evidence to support that John ever touched or harmed Catherine's daughter. Catherine had tried to commit suicide 
by swallowing a large amount of pills, but God thought it'd be best for her to pay for her crime, and she survived. She said that she doesn't remember the crime, but I have a hard time believing that. As her history shows, every relationship she had was violent. Every relationship she attacked the man that she was with. Her record was on repeat. She knew exactly what she was doing. Knight was arrested and charged with John's murder. She pleaded not guilty, but was ultimately convicted and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. The case attracted widespread media attention, not only in Australia, but globally, due to the shocking, horrible nature of the crime, along with Catherine's very troubling history. So I ask you, with what I mentioned earlier about the reasons that women commit murder, whether it be jealousy, revenge, self-defense, mental illness, etc., what do you think Catherine's motive was for not just the murder of John Price, but all of the attacks on all of the men that she was with? Do you think that she was a victim herself and she hated men because of her father and in her mind, I'll get you before you get me? Or was it simply mental illness? Or was she just a jealous narcissist that scared men into not cheating, but although she would run around and cheat? Today's quote is more of a little joke to lighten up the mood. It's by Nicholas Sparks. Two cannibals were eating a comedian, and one of them turns to the other and asks, Does this taste funny to you? All right, cabin crew, thank you for joining me for tonight's episode. I hope you liked it. I thought this was a very gruesome story, to say the least. But I want to give a few shout outs for a few of my new friends, followers, listeners. So first of all, I would like you to check out the movie Body Farm. It's about an independent film company that sends a videographer ahead of the story to investigate a body farm where human decomposition is researched. Now, the footage she sends back leads the rest of her team to follow in her footsteps to uncover a grisly medical abyss. You can watch the movie for free on Plex and TCL channel. Now, you can also look up Body Farm the Movie on Instagram at Body Farm the Movie. Also, please take a listen to Give Me Back My Horror Movies podcast. It's an amazing show discussing the nostalgia of horror movies and the ones keeping the genre alive. If you need a book recommendation, go check out Tomato Fields. It's published by Tim Moon, who you can actually find on Instagram at his name, Tim Moon. 
And if you love cryptids, then this is a story for you. The slaughter of rural pets launches a small town sheriff, his deputy, and a band of tormented townsfolk on the daunting task of eliminating an ominous threat posed by a mysterious creature. Give it a read or a listen. You can find it on Amazon, Kindle, etc. Again, Tomato Fields. Thank you to all my new followers and listeners. Remember, next Tuesday, March 21st, 7 p.m., join me and three other amazing podcasters in the game. Together, we are the Paranormal Project, and we're going to do a four-part live series with the first episode being next Tuesday. Join us as we try to find the missing link between Skinwalker, Stardust, and Blind Frog Ranch. Skinwalkers in general, UFOs, and more. Come on, everyone. I know that you're interested in this. So join us. You won't be disappointed. And the episodes will get deeper and deeper as we go along. Please consider following my podcast to get notifications of new episodes, bonus content, and live events. And also, also, please consider leaving me a rating or review. You know, there's a lot of hard work that goes into my episodes. Every one of us that does podcasting, it's work between the researching, the writing, the editing. I mean, it's... It's hard, but we do it because we love it and we want to serve you a great story. Your listen motivates me to do my very best. Also, if you have had a UFO sighting or have tried the Stephen Greer C5 contact, I want to hear about your experience. Email me at theconversationcabin at gmail.com. You can remain anonymous. It's up to you. But I want to hear about your experience. I want to cover some people's encounters on the show. So type it all out in an email and I will read it. And make sure if you haven't yet, add me on TikTok and Instagram at The Conversation Cabin. Until next time, Cabin Crew, explore your strange.